All right, let's turn our attention now to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to take you to a part of the Bible that oftentimes is overlooked, that skimmed through. And this morning, I want to go back and just take a look at some of the gold found in the genealogy of Jesus. If you found that, would you stand please? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 1. You follow along in your version. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by, by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel, and Shiltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Ebiad, and Ebiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you've put this here for our edification. And so by your spirit, to the glory of Jesus, your son, we ask you to teach us. We want to know Christ. And so help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> in the mid 1700s, the very first Presley came into North Carolina, found his way to Anson County, North Carolina. At that time, Anson County, North Carolina, believe it or not, reached all the way to the Mississippi River. Soon the Presleys would settle all over the western part of Anson County and then they would split the county, it would become Mecklenburg County and Union County. They would move, the Presleys would, 
They would move into little hamlets and towns like Goose Creek and Fairview. Little hamlets that are still there. If you ride through the country, you'll find them. Sometimes when the weather is right, I've got a little time on my hands, I'll ride east on highway number 218. Driving down the road before you get to 601, there is a forgotten place called Emmanuel Cemetery. And I can go to Emmanuel Cemetery and there you'll find the headstone. Sometimes Presley is with two S's, sometimes it's with one S. And I can walk through Emmanuel Cemetery and trace just a whisper where I came from. Read the names of my forebearers and know that I have some roots. That I have an actual history that I have what is known as a genealogy beginning. That seems to be, at least in part, what Matthew is doing right here in the very first part of his gospel. He would be providing something very important for the Jewish reader. Now remember, we must have context. Why did he do this? Matthew is a Jew. He's writing to Jews to help establish the Jewishness of Jesus. Something very important for the Jewish reader, something vital for our faith. Here in this little list of names that oftentimes, if you have the if you had the King James, you have a bunch of big gats there in the King James. And many times we just kind of skim over those names when we have our Bible reading plan. But in this mundane list you have before you, Matthew's doing something very important. He's not just giving us an Old Testament history lesson. He's showing us the veracity. He's showing us, showing us the historicity. He's showing us the reality of Jesus, the coming Savior. He's teaching us that Jesus didn't just drop out of the sky, that Jesus didn't just magically appear. It's like what Paul says in Galatians 4, that he was born of a woman. And vital for the Jew that he was born of a woman and he was born under the law. So here he is, Matthew, like a conscientious, well-trained reporter. Matthew is giving us the news of his coming. And that news is what we've sang about already this morning. That news is what we'll celebrate this afternoon twice. That news is the greatest news that you could receive today. And, and aren't we due some good news? We could use some good news. We've got COVID spiking. Government in disarray. I can't even look at it anymore. Anxiety. It feels like anxiety intensifying. We need the news of the coming Jesus. We, we need to gather and sing together. We need to be here this afternoon. And so as a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're here this morning as a Christian, if you're watching online, you're not able to come yet, and you're a Christian, I want you to, to feel the joy of Jesus coming and let it be medicine for your soul. 
I want you to receive the message. I want you to, to take it in. I want you to be strengthened in your heart and soul. I, I want you to be strengthened in your mind. If you're a parent here, so many parents are absolutely worn out. Moms and dads, you're tired and feel worried. I want you just for the few moments we have together on the Lord's Day to settle in around this news and be ministered to. For those of you, for those of you that are stuck in some kind of sin that you can't seem to shake, I want you to hear the news of Jesus coming that is going to set you free from that. That King Jesus is coming. This, this is the news of Jesus. Matthew is telling us who he is. Matthew is telling us why he's here. Matthew's going to tell us what he does. So I hope that you'll see this morning that the news of Jesus is the only news that matters. Let's take a look at it. Let's see what Matthew is doing here. Let's see what Matthew says and who Matthew says Jesus is. Let me show you the first thing. You'll find it in verse 1. Number 1, Jesus is the new beginning. You're going to write something down. Jesus is the new beginning. Who in this world doesn't need a new beginning? Jesus comes to give us a new beginning. You see it right there in the very first phrase of verse 1. Notice what Matthew has written for us. Matthew writes, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You might even want to circle that phrase, the book of the genealogy of Jesus. I want you to pay close attention to that phrase, the book of the genealogy. Remember now, remember the context. It's been 400 years. This little white page of French paper right here, it separates 400 years, Malachi to Matthew. It's been 400 years since Malachi put his quill down. God went silent. There's been no clear word. There's been no true authority. There's been no real direction. I mean, of course, you have the Old Testament. We have God's word. And that word carries with it a promise. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks in Advent, the promise of Jesus coming. But that one that was promised to come had not yet come. So you read the Old Testament and you follow its roots backwards and you go back to Genesis. And we find there in Genesis, our roots are in a man named Adam. Our history is in Adam. Our hopes are in one that hasn't come yet. But our history is in Adam. And every single bit of that changes in this very first phrase in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If you were to take that phrase that says the book of the genealogy, if you were to read that in the Greek, where that's how Matthew wrote it, it reads like this. Biblos Genesis. Biblos, book, Genesis, Genesis. Biblos Genesis, book of the beginning. You see what Matthew's doing here? Matthew, who is a skilled Jewish writer, he is doing this on purpose. He is purposely reminding his readers of something that they would know. They would know the book of Genesis. And he draws a straight line from this phrase right here all the way back to the book of Genesis. In fact, that very phrase, Moses uses it. Moses used that phrase 
the book of genealogy. He uses it for the first time in Genesis chapter 2 when he talks about creation. He says, here is the book of the beginning of creation. And then after the fall, when Adam and Eve went into sin, Moses picks it back up in Genesis chapter 5. And in Genesis chapter 5, he says, this is the book of the beginning of Adam. Do you remember what happened with the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve? Talked about it the very first Sunday of Advent. They fell into sin in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. They fell into irrecoverable sin. They fell into suffering, into pain. They brought about a fallen world that we live in. A blighted creation. This morning I was going over my sermon about 4.30 this morning and, and early in the morning or really late at night the the life flight helicopters can fly low, and I heard one come over the house headed somewhere knowing that something has happened. Why did that happen? We live in a fallen world. And in Genesis chapter 5, Moses writes, here is the book of the beginning of the pain of creation. Sorrow and darkness. And all of the rest that followed from Genesis chapter 5 all the way up to the time Malachi put his pen down is the story of man living under the curse. Matthew picks the pen back up and says, I'm going to change the story here. There is a new beginning. This is the book of Genesis. This is the second Adam. This is the one coming that will be born like no other, who will live perfectly, who will then redeem sinners at the cross, where Jesus will take the sin and the, he'll take the punishment for all the sin for every sinner that will ever be saved. And here in this genealogy that we so quickly run past so often, what you have right here is the promise of a new creation taking place. So now, instead of, instead of one category under Adam, we now have a second category. Instead of everybody now just living under that one Adam, the curse, we now have a new promise. He's the second Adam, Jesus, new hope, a new beginning. Surely, surely that's what the Apostle Paul, the great Jew Paul, had in mind when he said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not Adam, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old Adam has passed away. Behold, the new Jesus has come. And so you find yourself with a choice. You live in one of two categories. You live in the old category under Adam, or you live in the new category in Jesus you live in the old category and the curse of sin on your life, or you live in the new category and the grace that is found in Christ. And this morning I'm asking you to come to Jesus, to come to Jesus. He is the new beginning. You find that in this passage right here. Something else you'll find there, not just that he's the new beginning. Number two, let me give you a second point to look at. Jesus is not just the new beginning. Jesus is the final Hope. You'll find that also in verse 1. Notice what Matthew says. Go, go with me again there to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. You see the phrase, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. 
You have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of them are called synoptics because they're very similar. And one, John, stands alone. I'll preach on it next week. Matthew takes that name Jesus, and just about 150 times, more than any other Gospel writers, Matthew uses the name Jesus 150 times, but Matthew will use the name Jesus Christ only one time. Only one time in his entire gospel does Matthew use the name and the title Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Greek Christos, which stands for the anointed one, which means the Messiah. On the very front end of his gospel, he says, this is the story of the beginning of the Christ. Every sacrifice pointed to him, every type alluded to him, every law was fulfilled in him, every judge was a shadow of him, every psalm sings unto him, every proverb reflects his wisdom, every prophecy points to Jesus. And now Matthew is crowning his gospel and says, here is this new beginning. It is Christ. The word Christ you have there, this is the one that we celebrate. This is the one who will save us. In fact, this is what Peter does in Acts chapter 4, and he preaches that great sermon, and thousands come to Jesus. Peter said in his very first sermon in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among which men must be saved. Jesus said it of himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know what you have here? Here's the bedrock of our hope. Here's the guarantee for our tomorrow. Here's the promise. This is how you take the gospel and apply it to your heart for tomorrow. This is how you find confidence that Jesus is already there. That by God's grace at the cross of Jesus, when he purchased you and forgave your sins, he did more than that. He gave you the ability to walk into tomorrow with confidence that you're actually going to make it. He is the new beginning. He is the final hope. Let me give you something else from the genealogy. <clears throat> We've been singing about this. Number three, Jesus is the coming king. Coming king. Now, if you were a Jewish man or woman, you would have in your mind three or four colossal figures that you would hold dear through history and out of the Old Testament. You might think of Moses, who gave us the law, or you might consider Abraham, the founder of monotheism, who gave us the promises and the covenants. You might think of David, who established the king, who became the king and established the kingdom. Matthew has that in mind as he writes to a Jewish audience. And notice what he does here in verse 1. Matthew introduces Jesus as the son of David. Notice what he says. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Why is this important? Well, back in the Old Testament, if you were to flip back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, there God has made a promise that he will establish a king, and that king will be in the line of David, and he will last forever. And ever since that day, since the passing of David, 
We've been looking for that right king. There, there's always been this failure on the throne. We've been, we've been looking for someone that's not a pretender to the throne. If you were to pick up, if you were to take your finger and just run down the genealogy, just go down to verse 7. And if you were to start with Solomon in verse 7, and if you were to read all the way down to verse 16, and you just go through the names that you have there, what you would see is failure after failure after failure of a man as king. The kings in Israel's history, the rulers of God's people, until you finally get down to verse 16, and then you get to Jesus, the real king. And not just over Israel, the king over all. This king, King Jesus, invites us, invites you to be part of his kingdom. But that means for you submitting to his rules, submitting to his authority, believing on his cross. Look, in our world, our world, 2020, the United States of America, rulers are sinners and have shortcomings. Make mistakes are hard to follow. Not Jesus. He's the real king that dies on the cross for his subjects, whom God raised from the dead and now rules and invites you to bow. Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? Have you given yourself over to his lordship? Have you yielded your life? into his hand? Are you living your life and living it so that it is all for God's glory? Matthew's telling us here, this is the coming king. But, but let me show you something else in, that same, uh, in the same passage. It's not just that he's the coming king. You'll see that Jesus is also the true promise. Third point was that Jesus is the coming king. Uh, the fourth one is that Jesus is the true promise. Do you see who else is mentioned in that passage? Go back with me to verse 1. <clears throat> Matthew writes, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who is the son of David and the son of Abraham. David would, David, David would reflect the kingdom. What does Abraham reflect? Here is proof right there in verse 1. That God has kept his promise. In fact, God has kept his original promise. You'd have to fan the pages of your Bible and go all the way back to Genesis. And there on Genesis chapter 12, God called Abram to leave everything and go to the, to the land that he would show him. And God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 that all the families, you were in that promise, <clears throat> All the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. And here, you know what Matthew is doing? Matthew is making an audacious claim. Matthew is making the claim that Jesus is the answer and fulfillment to all the promises and all the covenants found in the Old Testament. So if you were to take this Old Testament and you were to read every promise and every covenant, Matthew is saying Jesus Christ 
is the fulfillment of every one of those promises and covenants. I mean, isn't that, isn't that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20? Paul tells us outright. Paul says, for all the promises of God, they find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So for you, For you that live in this fallen world where people tell lies and don't do what they said they would do, where people hurt you, for every promise that's been broken, for every promise that's been made to you and been broken by someone, for every lie that's been told to you, or maybe you were the liar, for every lie that you told, for every covenant that you've entered into and you've had that covenant broken or dissolved. I'm thinking oftentimes about marriages that have fallen apart, whether it's your fault or someone else's, but it leaves a gaping wound in a soul. I just want to bring you to this, what Matthew has said, and he's telling us that Jesus is the, Jesus is the true promise. Jesus is heals us, Jesus forgives us, Jesus sustains us, and Jesus never breaks his word. You can take this passage right here and you can live in the security of being in Christ and the, and the safety of being a Christian and, and the hope you have every single day because of what Christ has done. You, you can walk with confidence, you can be someone who lives with this sense of grace because Jesus is the son of Abraham. I'd like to give you one last one. I had, I had several of these, but let me just see if I can limit it to five. <clears throat> this is maybe the best news of all, and that is that Jesus is the friend of sinners. The friend of sinners. That's important because you are a sinner. It's important to get that, that Jesus is the friend of sinners. I mean, just, you know, I read the entire genealogy, but you could just run your finger down the names of people mentioned here in this list. By the way, this is not a complete genealogy. You find out in verse 17, this has been structured to show perfection. Two sevens and two sevens, 14 and 14 and 14. That Matthew did that as a device to say, here's a perfect compilation pointing toward Jesus. But you run your finger down the uh, list and you come up on David. David is an adulterer. Abraham is a polygamist that lied about his wife. Isaac learned from his dad and lied about his wife. Jacob's a cheater. I mean, go down to verse, go down to verse 10. There you see the name Manasseh. Manasseh, he was the most evil king that Israel ever had. And yet Matthew puts him here in this list. I, I, was reading, um, I was reading the great Bishop J.C. Ryle. He was an Anglican bishop about 125 years ago. J.C. Ryle said, you should look at Rehoboam and Joram and Jeconiah. And every one of those were evil men, but every single one of those had godly parents. They had godly parents and they turned out to be evil men. J.C. Ryle said the grace 
doesn't run in families. You know, you know what this, this shows us the great mercy of, of Jesus. This shows us, when you read those names, that Jesus, if he was not ashamed to have his name mentioned here with these sinners, then he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Now, we, we talked a little bit about the men. You know what we didn't do? We didn't, even, we didn't even list the women named here. I mean, it's remarkable enough that Jewish, a Jewish man named Matthew would write this list and with the genealogy would mention women's name at, names at all, but the ones he chose. I mean, for instance, go down to verse 3, and there you find, uh, there you find Tamar. Go and read the story of Tamar sometimes. It's in Genesis chapter 38. Tamar was the daughter-in-law to Judah. She was married to one of his sons. That son died. Then she married Onan. He died. And then Judah said, okay, I've got a third son here. He's awfully young. When he gets of age, you can marry him. But Judah didn't give her that son. And so she, she tricks her father-in-law, Judah, into a relationship with her, a one-night stand. She has twins. I mean, go read the story. Nobody looks good in that story. And how did she make it into this list? Not to mention, not to mention Rahab. Drop down to verse 5. What is Rahab doing there? I mean, here is Rahab. She is a renowned woman of ill repute. In fact, in fact she had such a reputation that the men spying out Jericho in order to not be seen, they just went to her house. It was not uncommon to have men going in and out of her house. Nobody thought anything of it. And yet here she is. Or, or in verse 5, there is the woman named Ruth. We have a Bible book named Ruth. That, that's who this is. Ruth, what's astonishing here is not so much that she was ungodly, although there is a bit of a sketchy night that goes on with Boaz. We're not sure what happened there. What's the really uh, unbelievable thing is that, that Ruth is a Moabite. You want to find the roots of the Moabites, you just uh, take the line and run it, through the, run it through Genesis and roll up on Genesis chapter 19. There you find Lot with his daughters. That's... That's where the Moabites come from. It's so foul that in Deuteronomy, the Moabites were banned from the people of God for 10 generations, and yet here's Ruth. Verse 6, you find, verse six you find the most notorious. In fact, it's so notorious, Bathsheba, it's so notorious that Matthew doesn't even mention her name. He says that David had a child. He even, he builds the scandal in. David had a child with somebody else's wife. David had a child with the wife of Uriah. You know what this reminds us? Brothers and sisters, this reminds us of several very important things about Christianity. The first one is this. Our religion is one of grace and mercy. The grace and mercy of God are found in the person of Jesus Christ and at the cross of Golgotha. That we live under this umbrella of mercy and grace that God has given to us through this person, Jesus. You know what else this list reminds us of? 
This does away with self-righteousness. This, this does away with you thinking that you are actually a pretty good person. This does away with, the, well, I'm a, pretty, I'm, I'm a pretty good person talk. You're not a pretty good person. You, you are a sinner through and through. That you can only be saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. I, I don't know if you've seen this, um, the new Inspiration Cubes by Joel Osteen that tell you how good you are and you're going to make it. I'm going to have my own little cube that says, nope, you deserve to go to hell. You are a sinner. And if you don't repent, you're going, I mean, we need that kind of cube that tells us that reminds us there's nothing in us except sin. There's nothing for us to love. And God, grace is God loves us anyway in Jesus. He saves us at the cross. This does away with, with self-righteousness. Let me give you a, a third beautiful thing about this list. <clears throat> this list, this genealogy, puts all the focus on Jesus. Do you see how he ends it in verse 16? Notice how Matthew ends the genealogy in verse 16. Matthew says, Jacob is the father of Joseph. Now he switches up how he talks. Joseph is the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. There's the gospel. God is holy. We are sinners separated from God. God in his goodness and love to us gives us Jesus, born of a woman, fully man, and yet he's also Christ, fully God, lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead, and now he calls those that are born in Adam to turn and put their faith in Jesus. You see, the news of Jesus is the only news that matters. You join me as we pray together with your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a time of commitment and prayer. And if you're watching online, I want you to go ahead and bow your head and join us in a moment of prayer. If you're watching online or you're here even here today, uh, those of you that are Christians, I want you to take great comfort in the mercy and the grace of God found in Jesus. And not in your own self-righteousness, but in His grace. For those of you that are not confident in your own salvation, you're not sure where you stand, I've tried to lay out for you today that we're all born in Adam, the first Adam. We can be saved in the second Adam, in Christ. And Matthew is writing to say, take your eyes off of what has been and now put your eyes on Jesus. I'm asking you to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. You can let us know that. In fact, you can use the prayer request. You can send that in. I want to know what's happened in your life. Have you given your life to Jesus and start walking with him so that your life reflects the glory of God? Father, thank you for your word that is good. Thank you for your love that is found in Jesus. And I pray you would pour it out on us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.